We want to thank you for following the Looking Forward Our Way podcast. Do you know we also have a newsletter? Yeah, our goal with the newsletter is to never waste your time or fill your inbox with email landfill. Each newsletter is quick and easy to read and keeps you updated on what we are working on as well as what is coming up on the next podcast. You'll see some newsletter items come and go, but we'll always be respectful of your time and inbox clutter. And we always encourage recycling, so send the newsletter along to a friend or a family member. Sign up by clicking on the link in the show notes or go to our website, lookingforwardourway.com. Thanks again for following and listening to Looking Forward Our Way. Yeah, I have this set of patients who get connected with me on the video and they're like, oh my gosh, I did it. I I figured out a way to get on here with you. And I was like, don't worry, you don't have to be nervous. We can, we can do this. It's pretty easy. So um, yeah, I think once people dive in and do it, they realize it's really not that hard to get connected. We are looking forward our way. On location from the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, outpatient care at Lewis Center, Ohio. This is Brett. And with me, Carol. How are Hi. You, you know, this is a good time to ask, how are you since we're at a medical center? Exactly. Particularly <laughs> with the person who's going to be with us today. Right. I need to let her know that I'm good. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Things are going well, Brett, and I am so excited. You know, you have to maintain good health, and today's guest is a very special person. Stacy Kelly is a nurse practitioner at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, Lewis Center Outpatient Care. She is also my nurse practitioner, and she has a huge following of people. I heard about her from other folks, and that's how I got connected. She's wonderful. I told her I was going to uh, embarrass her by telling everybody she has a 4.9 plus 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 on a 5.0 rating scale, nice. but it's testament to the incredible care she provides many people. Stacy, thank you for doing this and joining us today. Thank you for that nice introduction, Carol and Brett, and thanks for having me today. Sure. Well, you know, we've been talking about this telehealth and trying to figure out who do we go to to talk to about it because, you know, health has been difficult at the most, uh, well, I should say at the least here during the pandemic, but we often talk about the goals of this podcast program to to address issues and bring in experts and provide resources, and we finally figured it out who we've got to talk to. So today we're going to address our healthy living category as living with a pandemic all around us. It's a, it's a top concern. Uh, Stacy. we asked you to join us today as the critical need of health care during this crazy time didn't stop for the pandemic. Probably got worse, quite frankly. Uh, let's first talk about your background and experience as a nurse practitioner at one of the largest hospitals in the country. Sure. So um, I come from a family of nurses and growing up, I helped to take care of my grandmother. So I knew from a young age that I wanted to take care of other people. During high school, I worked as a nurse's aide at our local nursing home. And after I graduated high school, I went on to attend um, my undergraduate program at The Ohio State University. Um, And during my studies there, I worked as a patient care assistant on the bone marrow transplant unit at the James. After graduating with my BSN, I accepted an RN position on the bone marrow transplant unit and jumped into the family medicine nurse practitioner track at The Ohio State University. I worked for three years as a nurse on the transplant unit, and after graduating with my master's in nursing, I then accepted a nurse practitioner position on the bone marrow transplant unit. 
So I worked there as a nurse practitioner for two and a half years before making the major change to OSU's ambulatory outpatient care in 2013. And my desire for that change really stemmed from wanting to help others in my local community be the best versions of themselves. I've been a practicing NP for the past 10 years, and I really feel blessed to work in such a large organization where resources are readily available at my fingertips. You, you really started that nurse practitioner early on in those, then that program. <laughs> she did. Yeah, so I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I'm glad to have had the experience as a floor nurse um, for those three years while I did my master's program. Um, I think it prepared me really well to um, do the advanced level of nursing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. So we we uh, before we started recording, we were saying, you know, whoever even heard of telehealth, you know, before the pandemic, it was sort of one of those out there kinds of programs. Um, and now everybody's doing it. So let's talk about, you know, who is your typical patient? Is it mostly older folks, moms and babies? Are there particular kinds of illnesses that you're seeing more often? Um, and do you usually suggest patients use telehealth or do they make that choice on their own? Sure. So um, really everybody is utilizing telehealth, young and old patients. I would say generally patients in their teen through age 50 probably feel the most comfortable with telehealth visits. Uh, conditions that we normally see over telehealth services are mean a, a lot of mental health problems right now, I think in the midst of the pandemic. Um, Really, though, I've been utilizing telehealth for anxiety, depression, blood pressure check-ins, diabetic medication management, and acute illnesses, particularly those with respiratory symptoms at this time. So patients can choose on their own if they would like a telehealth visit or an in-person visit. However, we are not allowing patients with any respiratory symptoms to be seen in person at this time. But we do have a special location that those patients... Um, can be assessed at if they've connected with us via telehealth and we feel that they need an in-person evaluation. Some patients are more comfortable with telehealth given the pandemic. Maybe they're high risk or they don't want to risk exposure. A lot of college students are utilizing telehealth since they're not living locally. And on the other hand, some patients um, don't prefer telehealth and want to be evaluated in person. So we can always arrange that for them if they would like. When you mentioned that issue about college students, it hadn't even dawned on me about mm-hmm. about them. I remember eons ago when I was in school and you didn't dare go to the student health center. <laughs> you weren't sure you were going to get out of there alive. Um, but, um, you know, and that meant, you know, mom and dad had to make an appointment around your school schedule, go and pick you up, bring you home. What a great way to make take take care of that. Yeah, I usually, or I feel like prior to us utilizing telehealth, we would see college kids only on holiday breaks, like Christmas, spring right. break, and summertime. But now it really has increased the access to care for them because they can just connect with us on a video. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a question kind of off on, on a little bit of a tangent. When you're having those successful telehealths, then do you feel like folks are more and more comfortable so that they if they can do it once if you can convince them to do it once they're going to come back yeah I have this set of patients who get connected with me on the video and they're like oh my gosh I did it I I figured out a way to get on here with you and I was like don't worry you don't have to be nervous we can we can do this it's pretty easy so um yeah I think once people dive in and do it they realize 
it's really not that hard to get connected. Very cool. Yeah. You had referenced earlier about respiratory problems and making accommodations for them. Has the medical center had to make changes in the processes and procedures of telehealth in order to accommodate specific groups of patients or something a little bit different than respiratory? Sure. So um, the medical center, of course, has had to make a lot of accommodations, and there's definitely been a a learning curve for all of us, which I think in the past year we've all gotten better at providing and utilizing telehealth services. But initially our biggest barrier was with our patients where English was not their primary language. So typically in the office we have a device that's called Marty that if somebody needs an interpreter, we dial um, an interpreter who speaks their language and they are the, the machine is in the room with us with a live interpreter on the machine that can kind of communicate oh, between nice. us. Okay. But obviously we don't have this machine when we're working from home or um, doing telehealth visits. So since then those kinks have been pretty well worked out and we have figured out how to basically do a three-way call with an interpreter on the line with us. Um, There's an internal platform that OSU uses where patients connect via video with us to their MyChart account, but not everybody has MyChart, so we also had to figure out what do we do for those patients who who don't have MyChart accounts. So um, we mainly utilize two private parties um, called UpDocs and Doximity, um, and this maintains confidentiality through secure video chats. But initially, as you can imagine, there were overload on all of these platforms, OSU MyChart, UpDocs, Doximity, um, where it was creating all of these connectivity problems with providers and patients because the servers were so overloaded with how many how many people were actually on the server. So since then, it's been improved greatly, though. Um, and it, it still remains difficult to perform telehealth visits for those with hearing impairment unless a family member is there to help with that. You know, we did some podcasting on creativity of the arts during the pandemic. I, I just think medicine and science have gone gangbusters on being creative to make it right. work because mm-hmm. you can't not continue to take care of yourself whether you've got COVID or not. I mean, there are other things that have to be done. And right. This has really, really helped. That's wonderful. Um, you mentioned a little bit ago the, about somebody having a blood pressure uh, checkup. Uh, what you know? What what do people do? How do you take care of those kinds of issues? And it's. I mean, we all have a thermometer, but we don't necessarily have a blood pressure gauge. So um, there's. De- it's definitely helpful to have vital signs um, when you're doing a telehealth visit. But if they don't have the equipment, we just can't determine. You know, you can't determine what somebody's blood pressure is without having a blood pressure cuff. So um, with telehealth, since we don't always have their vital signs and there's no way to complete a full physical exam, sometimes it just might not be an appropriate type of visit if the patient doesn't have the correct equipment, like a blood pressure monitor or um, something to check their blood glucose or a pulse oximeter if they're feeling short of breath. So those types of visits we would consider a failed telehealth visit and then arrange in-person evaluation Mm -hmm. for them. Um, For chronic disease management, we allow telehealth for those who have access to their own equipment, um, which most people who take blood pressure medication have a blood pressure monitor Mm -hmm. and diabetics have a glucometer. So um, 
can you use things like your smart, the, what, not smart watch, what are these things the called? Apple the Apple watches. Yeah, they, it, you know, the little sportsy thing that checks your steps. Yep, yeah, so the Apple watches and a lot of fitness trackers will give us a heart rate. Um, some of them have EKG monitoring on there. Um, but it doesn't necessarily give you a blood pressure. It doesn't give you um, a temperature. It'll give you a pulse mm-hmm. reading. It won't give you a pulse oxygen level, though, either. Right. So. right. Um, it's useful for some things, um, but not everything. So um, I think in part getting a good history is essential. So we realize the limitations of telehealth, but uh, I'll give you this example. I met with a patient last week who connected with me um, for shortness of breath, and she thought she, she was just having a bronchitis flare, which is pretty common for her. Um, but an unusual symptom she was experiencing was leg pain or leg swelling. Sorry. Um, so I was immediately concerned about her symptoms and I ordered some blood tests cause I didn't have any vital signs available to me. Uh, like she didn't have a blood pressure cuff or a pulse oxygen, um, a pulse oximeter. So I ordered some labs and figured out she was in heart failure actually, so sent her to the emergency room and she got taken care of. But I think even more so on telehealth when you're not able to physically examine your patients in a way that you would be able to examine them in your clinic, um, it's really important to get mm-hmm. all of the details about about what's going on because you wouldn't want to treat that patient for bronchitis when she's actually you know, having a medical emergency. And and being able to see them is a step up from only being able to talk to them on the phone, too. Exactly. Yeah. So being able, there are some things you can assess while seeing a patient. Of course, you can't listen to the heart and lungs, but you can see if they're in distress or have labor breathing mm-hmm. or, or something right. like that. So. Right. Okay. All right. So how do you prepare for each appointment? You know, normally we see you, you, you come in, you're checking the chart, looking at a patient, especially looking at the patient, get the whole body view versus the face, and then able to talk to them, too, and actually hear them a little bit better than through a Zoom and your your speaker on your computer. Uh, What are the steps followed so that you are providing complete health information in a very different setting? So much of it is actually the same. Um, My medical assistant calls each patient before they're connecting with me on a telehealth visit, for one, to make sure they know how to connect to the video chat, but two, to get their basic information, like what's your reason for the visit, if you have any vital signs available, what are those um, vital signs, and then they ask some general signs and symptoms that the patient might be having. So um, after that, so I review what my medical assistant has documented. Um, I review the patient's history, their medications. Um, I start my note and then connect with the patient either on their MyChart or by sending them that secure video chat link. Um, once connected, I get their history and examine what I can via the video visit, and then I provide a diagnosis and treatment. So, like I said, much of it is the same. A big difference is in the way I give my patients instructions for follow-up or for other testing maybe that I have ordered. So my typical flow in the office is I order all these things and my medical assistant kind of wraps it up nicely for me and tells my patients what to do next. But I'm kind of responsible for that now because I'm they're not talking to anybody else after they talk to me. And they're not stopping at my front desk to schedule their referrals. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, that's been changed a little bit um, where I've had to get some phone numbers for specialists. Uh, we create a lot of something called smart phrases where I can just pull in the phone number to schedule with these specialists without having to memorize all of those phone numbers because there's just no way I could memorize all of that um, stuff. So um, that's been the biggest change is really the follow-up instructions that we've been needing to give mm-hmm. to give patients after their visit. Yeah, so when a patient, this is a little bit off of it, but I, it came to mind when you were talking about this, when a patient normally has a relative or maybe a neighbor that comes in with them, is the technology have the ability to bring a third party in if they're not there in the home with the patient? So currently through the OSU MyChart platform, there is not an option to add a second caller. You can on our private party options, though, Doximity and UpDocs, you can add other lines. So if there were somebody like that who I knew had a need, who needed to have somebody else on the line with them, I would just send them and their preferred family member both a a link to the video chat um, in a private um, secure chat text link. Because a lot of older adults do that just Mm -hmm. because they want a a second pair of ears to hear it could have a multitude of prescriptions exactly. and they don't remember to yep. write something down and you know and i think not have have ever seen you as a patient but i would mm-hmm. assume you're slow enough and you you know make sure that they understand but a lot of docs aren't mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just kind of on schedule and, and they got to keep moving and they don't mm-hmm. pay attention that the patient didn't get it <laughs> one thing recently too that's been gone into effect that um kind of helps with some of that now is By law, we are required to allow patients to see their medical record online. So if I saw you for a visit and then I complete, I signed my note, when you are on your portal, you can read my note actually. Um, If we hide it from a patient for whatever reason, say we feel like the information in the note is harmful uh, for them to see for any reason or, or Maybe it's a minor who we are trying to maintain confidentiality from a parent, say, we would hide it, but you have to document a reason why you are hiding the note. So I think that in part helps with some of the instruction that we're giving, though, too, because at the bottom of our note, we're writing our assessment, we're writing our plan out, so they can act, you can actually get on your um, portal and see all of the notes moving forward, which yeah. is good. You know, I have I, I have to give OSU a big shout out though. My chart is phenomenal. I mean, our our system and I haven't been on the systems on any of the other hospitals in Central Ohio, but there isn't much I can't find on my chart as it is. Yeah, we really try to get patients engaged in their in their own healthcare, and I think part of that is being able to see, you know, what's mm-hmm. in your medical record and, and asking us questions if you don't understand something or you don't understand the written instructions. Right. You could have that opportunity to ask us questions. Well, it's even, it's, um, if I want to know, okay, when did I go to see Stacy last? I need to make another appointment. I can do it right there on my chart. So it was hitting me this morning. I have to get my eyes checked. When was the last time? <laughs> you know, and there's no way to figure that out unless I pull out last year's calendar or I call their office. And this is just so much easier. So this is a good segue into my next question. Um, most of us are used to just calling the office, make an appointment, and show up and do nothing to prepare ourselves um, to meet with you. So in looking at the telehealth issues, 
um, I started looking at, you know, what information does Ohio State give to, to patients on telehealth, looked at some of the other um, hospital systems and what they're doing. What's your expectation? What would you like to see a patient do when they're getting ready to see you on telehealth? Sure. So um, it's always helpful if the patients are connected on their video visit on time. So Mm -hmm. um, like we were talking before um, starting this podcast, it can be difficult to to maintain such a strict schedule on the on the telehealth visits because all of your patients are kind of waiting virtually for you and wondering where you are because you don't see anybody actually um so that's always nice when patients are connected at their time because it really helps the flow of your day uh, go much more smoothly and prevent some other upset patients later in the day. Um, really, I, I guess my other expectations would be, you know, if if you are connecting with me for a rash, I, I need to be able to see your rash. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> would be helpful. If you're seeing me for, for blood pressure on telehealth, I should I'd be able to check your blood pressure. You should have equipment so I know what your blood pressure mm-hmm. readings are. Same with diabetes management. Um, I think if you're connecting with me for a mental health concern, you it might feel uncomfortable, but you have to be willing to talk with me ab- about that. Sometimes patients kind of get shy or embarrassed and they just don't want to talk about stuff, but you got to you got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go back to that medical emergency reference you made earlier mm-hmm. and, and you know, uh, you know, the patients have to be complete early. I, I, we, we put in quotes truthful in answering your questions. Um, you're going to have to need the individual to give you complete information. I mean, if that uh, your patient had not told you about her leg pains but only about her breathlessness, she would have been in much worse scenario. So I, is it a common concern? I mean, I'm a guy. I usually don't talk about what's the problem it'll go away you know exactly um do you see the the complete or the truthful answers not forthcoming more so in this scenario or maybe just as much as face-to-face i think overall we can understand maybe why patients would choose to be dishonest or maybe not disclose certain information to us i think um you know people get scared if they tell us something is going on that maybe you know we might recommend something that sounds scary to them or something that they don't want to do um for example people don't like to disclose the amount of alcohol that they drink or that they use drugs or the amount of food that they eat or that they don't exercise or take their medications like we prescribed or or maybe in the pandemic it's they're afraid to tell us about some COVID symptoms that they're having because they fear that we might be upset that they're not social distancing or wearing masks mm-hmm. or or something like that. So I'm sure there have been plenty of patients who have not told me the truth and I've had no idea. But I also feel like a fair amount of the time that we can kind of sense when um, a patient is maybe not being so truthful with us. So There's a few checks and balances. One is there's a statewide database that we are able to pull up um, and see all controlled substances that patients are being described if we're concerned about about any controlled substance abuse. Um, And the second is medication filling patterns. So if I gave you six months of blood pressure medication and it lasted you a whole year, I already kind of know that 
there's a problem there right. with your medication. Is, is this something compliance. new that you're able to go into that database and... No, it's called the ORS report, um, and so this is a, a, it's actually a national thing, um, which has been helpful with the opioid crisis that is even going mm-hmm. on here in central Ohio. So it's a way for healthcare providers just to be knowledgeable um, about what medications people are getting or using from pharmacies that are controlled, meaning they have, they're a high-risk medication to be um, addictive or habit forming. Right. So um, it's just a way to keep us all kind of connected and uniform in the prescribing patterns that we have. So it's not a new database, but sometimes people don't know that we can, can see that information. Um, and it also includes medical marijuana on that report. So, okay. um, so sometimes, you know, that information is helpful, but um, we expect patients to disclose that information to us as well. So really, if, if I know that somebody's being dishonest with me or I have a feeling that somebody's not answering my questions thoroughly or completely, I, I just try to have a, a heart-to-heart conversation mm-hmm. with them, um, let them know I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to help you You know, be the best version of yourself. I'm here to coach you, encourage you, keep you healthy or get you healthy. And you deserve to have a healthcare provider that you feel you can be open and honest with. And if that's me, great, let's start working on that so I can help you. Um, and sometimes I'm surprised maybe somebody isn't taking their medication because they can't afford it, but they were embarrassed to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Or, And it really opens up the door for a conversation, and usually there's a solution if I know that there's a problem. So I might be able to prescribe a different medication or refer them to my social worker or they might be able to qualify for our financial assistance program, or maybe I could fill out an application so they could get their medication for free. So I do feel like a healthy therapeutic relationship between the provider and patient is essential for the overall care of the patient. Wonderful. You, you had mentioned um, that mental health is really an issue um, that, that has come up. Have there been other issues or um, syndromes that you've noticed. Um, I've noticed some of my friends have come there. It's almost like they a bit of hypochondria, but even more fear of dealing with trying to come and, and see a healthcare professional. Right. So, um, like you mentioned, we've seen a major spike in mental health problems since the beginning of the pandemic and it being an election year really didn't help us out any there. So, Election years are always bad for um, people suffering from anxiety and, and depression, but throw a pandemic in on top of that, and people are barely getting by sometimes. So telehealth has been a great and valuable tool for managing anxiety and depression, and it increases access to care substantially. So people aren't needing to take four hours out of their day to come see me for an appointment. They're able to take 20 to 30 minutes, connect with me on the video, and get the same service as they would if they um, were coming in their office to see me. So if anything, to me, it seems like patients have had less medical needs, though, since um, the beginning of the pandemic that require an in-office evaluation. So I'm not sure why exactly. I think, uh, like you had mentioned, a lot of people are just afraid to come out and into the community and maybe not really sure about the whole telehealth thing. Um, so they just choose not, maybe not to contact us with a concern. You know, one of the things that I, maybe we're taking better care of ourselves. (laughs) You know, I had, for instance, 
they said there was like no flu. I have not seen any flu yet this year. And just wow. think about how mm-hmm. you would have been busy with the flu had mm-hmm. we, and it's not just the masks and the social distancing, it's we haven't been going anyplace. But I think in some ways, for me per- personally, I've tried to really take good care of myself because, you know, you don't living home sick. alone, <laughs> I, I didn't want to be sick with COVID, right. even if you don't end up in the hospital. Who wants to be home alone with that? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we haven't seen any flu this year. Knock on wood. We've that's great. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. Good for all of our listeners who have done a good job of taking good care of themselves. Yeah. So. Well, well, that you know that leads me to this question. I mean, do you think telehealth has helped your patients stay well and, and stay on track with their whether it's healthcare maintenance or maybe even beyond? So I I really think telehealth can go either way. Um, Some people really love the ease and accessibility, and they're happy to hop on for a quick visit rather than taking that big chunk out of their day. Others maybe don't have Internet access at home. They don't have a smartphone or the technology to connect with us. We still do some telephone visits if needed, although those are a little less useful since we can't actually see the patient um, we have unfortunately had some patients, though, who are so scared to seek out medical care um, in the community or even go to the emergency room when it was recommended um, to the point where they've un- we've unfortunately had some patients who've passed away or died at home because they're mm-hmm. afraid to go get medical care. So I think that just really highlights the need um, or the importance, really, of treating anxiety and depression Um, it's nothing to be ashamed of it's a medical condition just like high blood pressure or diabetes so if you're suffering from depression or anxiety I would encourage you to connect with your healthcare provider for treatment one of the things I noticed um, when I was looking at where the instructions were for all of the different healthcare systems is that there's information in there on how to find a hotspot you know if you don't have the internet access at home if nothing else, to be able to do your phone in your car, you know, on a hot spot, on a hot spot mm-hmm. on the various campuses, or I, w- I sort of was laughing because they were saying one of the uh, hot spots at OSU is on West Campus. So you're literally a mile from the hospital, but you're sitting in your car because you don't want to go to the hospital. Right. That's okay. So yeah, good. Mm-hmm. So so Stacy, it sounds like telehealth is here to stay. Um, do you see this growing? Do you think it'll come back or or pull back after COVID? And um, what can we do to help old, particularly older adults dealing with the technology of telehealth? Mm-hmm. So I think telehealth's here for good. It's made access of care better than ever. I think the question moving forward when we're out of the pandemic is what will insurance companies allow, what types of visits will they allow us to perform via telehealth? So Mm -hmm. a lot of that may be dictated by commercial insurance. um, So that's always a a barrier, um, (laughs) which right now they're during the pandemic, really the, the doors are kind of wide open and they're allowing us to do anything we want on telehealth, but I don't think it'll be, that way after the pandemic is over. I would I would think insurance companies would want it because it's got to be cheaper. The billing is different. I think it's cheaper. It increases access to care. So you would think in general your patients would be getting better care um, via telehealth. Um, but 
Again, depending on the illness. Right. And what has to be seen. Right. They may only allow it for a certain set of conditions, right. that, mm-hmm. like anxiety, depression, mental health, um, diabetes follow-up, blood pressure follow-up, but they may not necessarily allow it for things like shortness of breath, chest pain, which those types of people may need benefit better from an in-person evaluation. So um, I think the elderly though remains a challenging population when it comes to telehealth. So I will say though, most of the time I feel like we are still successful in doing a telehealth visit. Um, However, a large portion of the time they have a family member there to assist them or else with three-way calling them um which has been helpful so it seems to for the most part just work out even for our elderly patients well you know the we've always talked about the fact that that as you're getting older transportation becomes more of an issue particularly when your family physician healthcare provider says no you shouldn't be tra- you driving anymore <laughs> and telehealth would take care of that if right. it's not eliminates um, that barrier right yeah right. so oh, good. Okay. exactly mm-hmm. you covered the bases I mean, and it's funny, we were going over questions in our mind about, okay, how do, what do we ask? And the insurance was the big thing is like, insurance is going to be the, the driver of this, right. whether how it remains with us after we don't necessarily have to have it 100% like we do. Right. So I, I, I think you were right on with what we were thinking too, mm-hmm. but it's just still an open door. Right. Who knows? Sure Who knows? Yet. It's in our future. We're going to see telehealth for quite a while. I think it's it will not be going here, to yeah. go away. It's not going to go away. Yeah. It, any good words of advice to folks who are listening if they haven't done telehealth? Oh, just try it. It's A lot of people are so nervous when I get connected with them, sort of like I was nervous to talk to you guys today. But <laughs> um, I tell them it's, it's not hard. If, if you are not connected at your appointment time, I will call you on the phone. I will talk you through it and tell you how to get connected. And if you can't get connected, I'll just call you on the telephone, and we can we can talk about what's going on. So um, it's not scary. Um, we're here to help you. So if you need a, an appointment, yeah, just try it out. Stacy, thank you. <laughs> thank this has you. been wonderful. We You're really, welcome. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Looking Forward Our Way. We'd like to ask a favor from you. Would you give us some feedback on our podcast? We've made it really easy to do so. Click on the link in your episode show notes. That link will take you to our podcast Google My Business page. You may have to sign in to your Google account. From there, we'd appreciate your feedback on the podcast overall, feedback on a specific episode, or a suggestion on what you'd like to see us cover in a future episode. All your feedback is so much appreciated. Your comments only help us create episodes that will keep all of us looking forward our way.